Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too. And this is the podcast, Stuff You Should Know. That's right. Before we get going, we want to very quickly go on a little fundraising drive that we're uh, helping out our friends from Coed. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our friends that took us to Guatemala so many years ago who yeah. helped break the cycle of poverty through education. They're a great organization. They do great work. And we learned that the Stuff You Should Know Army, since we went to Guatemala, has raised just shy of $1 million. And we really want to hit that $1 million mark. Yep. Uh, we're basically trying to drum up $100,000 in donations, which is a lot, unless you break it up and divide it among the Stuff You Should Know Army. So if you want to go chip in a dollar, $5, $10, whatever your heart desires, you can go to cooperativeforeducation.org slash S-Y-S-K, and they will put your money to really good use. That's right. And uh, we are chipping in, too. So don't worry about that. Uh, Okay, so let's start talking, Chuck, about roller skating because there's worse (laughs) things that you could talk about. Yeah, maybe let's start out with our own personal experience. Um, As a sort of a semi-sheltered Baptist boy, my parents did not drop me off at the roller rink Mm -hmm. on a Friday night to go roller skating like all the other kids were doing Mm -hmm. uh, because it was unsupervised boys and girls together. Yeah. And that's where dirty things and naughty things happened. Sometimes. So the only time I got to go roller skating was when I went on uh, youth group outings to the roller mm-hmm. rink, which we did some. Long and short of it is I was never a great roller skater. I don't remember if I was a good roller skater or not. I certainly was never like a good roller skater. Right. But I, I didn't fall that much and I certainly didn't have to like hold on to the wall. Did you go? Did your parents drop you off and you got to go yes. like try and kiss girls and stuff? Yes. And your parents weren't too far off. The right. first <laughs> condom I ever saw in person was at the roller <laughs> They were probably totally right to keep me out of there. In in some dude's wallet. Um uh, yes, there, but it was it was much more. That was like literally the worst thing I ever saw at the roller rink. Listen, I can understand where your parents were nervous. An unused condom that left a ring in a wallet. <laughs> right. right. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was like a, a, like a Friday night thing. Uh-huh. Usually um, it was a school-sponsored thing, so you know uh-huh. like everybody there, which was pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's um, cool. The slow skate sure. to like Aerosmith's Angel skate. was always amazing. 
Um, yeah, it was a really fun experience. I went to Ohio Skate was the name of my roller rink. Uh, the one we went to was called Stone Skate because it was near okay. Stone Mountain. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, again, so, I, I didn't get to go enough. I was okay. It, it wasn't so much where when I went, people were like, you know, who's the Mennonite over there? <laughs> <laughs> he still looks really nervous. But, I, I, you know, I did okay. But I wanted to go try and kiss girls, and I wasn't allowed to. I don't recall kissing a girl at the roller rink ever, so, you know, you kissed a girl eventually, right? You're, you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm married. Okay. You didn't miss that much, <laughs> but it was fun. It was a fun time. I, I All of my memories from the roller rink are very fond ones. For yeah. Sure. I wanted to kiss a girl in the seventh grade, and I just, that did not happen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think I had my first kiss in second grade. Of course you did. Because <laughs> you were boss then and you're boss now. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> Uh, all right, oh, so let's boy. talk roller skates. They have actually been around a lot longer than I thought. You put this together, right? Uh, Dave helped us with this one. Oh, all right. I didn't know that. I forgot about this one, I guess. Yeah. But they've been around a lot longer. They've been around since the 1700s. I did not know that. No. The Dutch, our Dutch friends were the ones who first started thinking of ways to put wooden spools <laughs> into a line and rolling around on them. They did everything wood. It's our um, English friends that get credit for being the first to have documented use of roller skates. There was a, a production in London on stage in 1743. Not sure what it was called. But they were supposed to be pretending to be ice skating. Mm -hmm. So the actors on stage used roller skates. And if that doesn't bring up thoughts of like delighted gasps at the audience as the <laughs> curtain rises and there's people magically ice skating on stage. I don't know what does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not too long after, in 1760, there was an inventor from Belgium named John Joseph Merlin who debuted these roller skates that he made uh, at a masquerade ball when he rolled in playing the violin was like, Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm playing the violin. I'm rolling. Oh, no, a mirror. And, like, just sort of sounds like skated right into this mirror and broke it and broke his violin uh, mm -hmm. because at the time there were no toe stops and there were no trucks on the bottom of your skate, which we'll get to. But that's what allows you to, to kind of lean and, and steer a skate a little bit. Right. For some reason, I think of Merlin, like, as he as he gets more and more out of control, uh -huh. his his violin playing speeds up too, <laughs> rather than the opposite natural thing. He just oh, stop yeah. playing violin. I can just, he keeps he's playing like his own demise. That's, I keep imagining it like that. Oh, I love it. I wonder why the guy just didn't see it coming and like decide to just fall on purpose Bail. rather than crash into a mirror. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because he was so you know playing so fast. He was doing the <laughs> right. devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> right. So uh, there's a guy named James L. Plimpton, and he's considered um, pretty much all around as the, the first inventor of the real roller skate back in 1863. And in super 19th century fashion, he wasn't an inventor. He was a furniture store owner in New York right. because that's who invented stuff back in the 19th century. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, they were called the rocking skates, and they were the first uh, quad skates. They were the first ones that have, you know, the two wheels in the front and the two wheels in the back next to each other, and I mentioned those trucks, the first one that had a truck, and that is, instead of the skate just being fixed in position on the bottom of a, a wood shoe in, in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. uh, the wheels are secured to a truck, and the truck is secured to the shoe or the boot, mm -hmm. and those trucks, you know, if you ever skateboarded, you know, you loosen and tighten the trucks, 
Uh, you can do the same thing on skates, and it's not quite like a skateboard. Like the trucks give just just a little bit on a roller skate, such that uh, like most of your turning and stuff is done by picking up your feet uh, and not just like leaning really hard to the left and doing a mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. But right. they but they really helped. Yeah. Um, so not only did Plimpton invent the the modern rolling skate, he also basically introduced the pastime of roller skating to the world. Um, he's like, I'm definitely on to something here. He rented a ballroom in a hotel in Providence, couldn't find out what hotel it was, um, and set up a roller rink there as basically a proof of concept. And then he started touring the country, and I think the world, showing people how great skating was, giving demonstrations, giving lessons, throwing skate parties, I guess. And um, in a very short time, the Victorians were like, this is a really great thing that we're into. He invented... Uh, the skate in 1863. By the 1880s, there were 3,000 roller rinks in the United States, England, Europe, and Australia. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say this would make a good movie, but now that I think about it, it would make a great drunk history episode. Especially the John Joseph Merlin part. Yes. And so just why haven't we been on yet? Derek Waters, get Josh and I on junk history and let us tell the story of roller skating. I, I think that we need to get in the way back machine and ask him because the, the show's done? not on anymore. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was still going. No, we missed our chance. But I'm, I'm totally I'm, down to get in the way back machine and ask I him. I know, but I, I don't know. I'm really sad now. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I, I need it. It's done. <laughs> it has completed its run. Okay. Well, never mind. Derek Waters, put he's, us in the next thing like, you do. <laughs> why don't you guys have me on? I'll have you on. I'll have Derek Waters on anytime. Okay. Uh, roller rinks uh, became all the rage, and young Victorians were out there. There's a time before you could like go on a date and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like young Chuck. It would have been a time for me to mm-hmm. talk to girls and stuff, and that's what it was back then in the 1880s and 90s. Yeah, but I, I guess unlike your parents, the Victorians were like, <laughs> this is okay. We're going to let them hang out by themselves. Uh, it says you know, a lot. Unchaperoned. <laughs> but the thing is, if you went skating back in the, the 19th century, um, they would have like a full orchestra or an organist playing, um, like a carousel, basically, I yeah. think is what it was a lot like. Um, because if you're just skating around <laughs> silently in like a, with like no music, that seems really unwholesome and weird. So I think they figured out really quickly <laughs> that you kind of need music to skate. Uh, this is a, a pretty cool fact. There was uh, in 1890, there was at the Grand Hall Olympia in London, mm-hmm. a 68,000 square foot roller rink was built, uh, which is about the size of a soccer field. So that just kind of goes to show like how much people were into skating. It, it worked its way into vaudeville. It worked its way into uh, the pictures in the 1930s. Charlie Chaplin, very famously in modern times, <laughs> uh, skated blindfolded. Just if you've never watched any Chaplin, go just check this out at least and yeah. get a slight appreciation of his genius. Uh, but there was a he was on the fourth floor and there was no railing because it was under construction. And so he's skating around blindfold. And of course, the worry <laughs> so is so scary. Off. It is so scary. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, that vaudeville act, I just have to shout out Charles Professor Frank, the dean of roller skating. And in particular, I want to shout out his five year old daughter, Lily, who could roller skate on stilts. I've never heard of anybody doing that before or since. Mm, I feel like I've seen that at a circus. Okay, well, you can thank Lily Frank for (laughs) for innovating that one. I wonder if she invented the stilt. Probably not. (laughs) So in the 50s, um, 
the the peak of popularity of roller skating happened starting around 1957, I believe, the late 50s. And apparently Chicago was the epicenter of this roller skating yeah. revival. Who knew? Because in between the Victorians and the 50s, roller skating actually developed a really seedy reputation. Um, I saw like a, a an article from the 70s where a roller rink operator said that back then uh, roller rink was the kind of place you wouldn't let your daughter go hang out. Like they were just not good places. But all of the roller rink operators that had hung on kind of banded together and like really worked to revive roller skating's image and were successful, so successful that the late 50s saw the greatest number of roller skating and roller rinks in, in history. Yeah, my parents didn't get that memo. I guess they were still working off the 1940s uh, code. Uh, But yeah, more than 5,000 rinks were operating in the 1950s. And if you think you grew up in the like 70s and 80s and you're like, no, that was the heyday. There were only, well, only, there were a lot back then too, but about 3,500, like 1,500 fewer rinks than the 1950s. Yeah. And I definitely think of the late 70s as like the pinnacle, but I I was wrong. My eyes are open now. (laughs) Uh, Shall we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break and come back because there's some really unexpected coolness coming up. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, Chuck, so I don't typically, or I didn't before, associate roller skating with civil rights. Yeah. But they really went hand in hand um, early on. I think one of the earliest sit-ins was in 1949 outside of the White City Roller Skating Rink in Chicago. That is early. Like, I equate sit-ins with, like, maybe the 50s, definitely the 60s. Um, But one of the reasons why they targeted roller skating rinks for sit-ins and civil rights protests is because some historians said that uh, everywhere in the country, segregation, whether, like, on paper or in practice, Mm -hmm. was a a real problem. But in particular, black Americans found that um, public pools— Amusement parks and roller skating rinks were the three hardest places to integrate. And um, everybody liked skating, but not everybody had access to it. And so black Americans were like, no, that doesn't sit very well with us. We're going to do something about that. Yeah, like they may show up at a roller skating rink. And even if it was not, you know, legal to do so, they would say, we have a private party tonight. You can't come in. So stuff like that was going on. Uh, And in 1963, there was a man, a 27-year-old from Chicago named Ledger Smith, who very famously roller skated uh, almost 700 miles (laughs) to attend the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, which is the very famous I Have a Dream speech uh, where that took place. And he was called Roller Man. He had a sash that said Freedom. He was backed by the NAACP and roller skated 685 miles to attend it and to a lot of uh, you know, media fanfare. And like, obviously it was, um, for the time, it wasn't like widespread media, but it got attention. Right, for sure. Um, so after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, and there was, uh, again, on paper, no such thing as um, segregation or racism in America, um, black Americans going to roller rinks still were faced with like, you know, just being shut out. Yeah. But to kind of follow the law in the, the least way possible, Mm -hmm. roller rink operators would set aside like one night a week for black patrons, um, and they would call them things like Soul Nights or Martin Luther King Jr. Night. And it was what black Americans had to work with in the 60s if they wanted to go roller skating in some places. Uh, That's right, but it it ended up being something that really changed roller skating because on Soul Nights or on Martin Luther King Jr. Night at the roller rink, 
mm-hmm. is where things got super cool. Mm-hmm. And where they said, hey, um, you know, white people aren't here. We can do what we want. We can get our dance on on these roller skates and we can right. get that organist out of the room and play some good music. And that's what they did. They they got, uh, you know, like 50s and 60s soul and R&B uh, and then eventually like funk music playing on the turntable. Right. And all of a sudden skating got 1000% uh, more awesome. Yeah. Because up to that point, everybody was like, no, you don't do that. You you skate around in a circle right. with a smile on your face. That's roller dun, skating. Dun, 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 dun. A little like <laughs> right. baseball game organist. <laughs> but Right, exactly. But, ev- but everything that you think of with roller skating, if you think it's even passingly cool, you can thank mid-century black Americans for basically saying, like, there's a much better way to do this. Right. And integrating dancing and roller skating was a, a big part of that. And um, so that really laid the groundwork for that skating revival that you and I talked about that seems like to us like the peak of roller skating, yeah. even though it wasn't. Um, and there was one guy in particular that was kind of the conduit for the whole thing. His name was Bill Butler, and he was an Air Force sergeant. And all the way back in the late 50s, he was trying to convince rink owners. He traveled around a lot um, as part of his Air Force service. Um, so he would go to different rinks by himself, I guess. And um, he would try to convince the owners to, like, play some records instead of this organist, you know. Um, and every once in a while, he was successful. And when he was, he really showed people, like, how great it was. But um, as much as he was laying the groundwork in the 50s, in the late 70s, he was basically the place where disco shot through into roller skating. He was, like, the prism that disco came through and spread into roller disco. Yeah, and that was in New York, of course, sort of the the apex of disco mm-hmm. uh, in Brooklyn, actually, at Empire Roller Disco is where Bill hung out. And disco happening, it all, like you said, just sort of coalesced at this moment in time right. where skating was uh, sort of retaking off. And then all of a sudden you had this great music to dance to and dancing on roller skates is even cooler uh, if you could pull it off. Um, it's very hard. I've tried to yeah. do that stuff. I'm not, <laughs> it's not very good disco roller skater but roller they kind of like dip their toe in it as far as the rinks go they would have like a club night where they would play those records and stuff and then eventually when disco really really hit the writing was on the wall and they started fully converting roller rinks into what we think of roller rinks now like before this they didn't have like all the amazing sort of dance lights and mm-hmm. and mirror balls and like disco is uh, is what brought all that stuff in so all exactly. of a sudden you had like neon and like cool carpet and like a killer sound system and it was like a disco on wheels exactly and one of the reasons why it got so big is because disco really brought um Americans of all races together yeah. for like the for the first time more than ever before I don't want to say the first time, but definitely more than ever before. It was a really integrative, I think that's a word, sure. um, kind of cultural movement, right? So um, basically another way to put it is white people who already liked disco were like, oh, you guys are roller skating to disco? Would show up at the roller rinks and learn from the black Americans who'd been dancing all this time and were now like had basically laid the foundation for roller <coughs> disco to show them that there's more to roller skating than just going around in a circle with a smile on your face. That's right. And Bill Butler leading the way in Brooklyn, like anyone who is anyone in the disco scene would like 
they would go to Studio 54 one night, and then they would go to Empire Roller Disco mm-hmm. if you were Cher or Linda Ronstadt or, you know, God knows who else. So you could skate with Bill Butler, and it was like a genuine movement was happening. Uh, there was very little barrier to entry, you know, because um, you rent the skates generally. Like, of course, a lot of people bought their, like, super cool skates if they could afford sure. them. Definitely. But, you know, a couple of bucks to get in and, like, 75 cents to rent skates. And all of, you know, there weren't like uh, the velvet rope wasn't happening like at disco clubs where they wouldn't let you in if you didn't have the right look. And it was sort of democratized in a way. Yeah, it was really inclusive, which is cool. Um, the, there was one other thing that happened in the 70s, too, that, that changed roller skating forever and basically made it what we think of today. And that was the introduction of the polyurethane wheel. And that um, did a couple of things. One, you could go outside now. Um, to roller skate. Obviously, you could before because Ledger Smith roller skated 700 miles. But mm-hmm. one thing you don't realize is that Ledger Smith probably did that on metal wheels. That's amazing. And a description of roller skating outside on metal wheels I saw was that the whole point is to just keep your teeth from rattling out of yeah. your head. <laughs> so polyurethane wheels are softer and they're much more forgiving outdoors. So people were now allowed to go outdoors and roller skate and particularly roller disco outside. And then indoors, it allowed for much greater control and movement and precise movement uh, in the roller rink than the older wheels had as well. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the skateboarding up. Uh, same thing happened there. They were already being made for skateboards, but uh, there was a, a little bit of a dip in popularity for skateboarding mm-hmm. uh, at one point in the 70s, and then the wheel manufacturer said, hey, let's put them on roller skates. Everything changed. All of a sudden, you can go to Central Park in New York and see some really super cool roller disco happening on the sidewalks and uh, and pathways. It's essentially the definition of 70s groovy. yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, like, all of a sudden, like, any, like, it felt like every other movie or TV show you saw had some sort of roller skating <laughs> either seen or, like, part of the plot. Yeah, like, Skate Town USA was a big one. Um, Patrick Swayze was in that. Roller Boogie yeah. was another one starring Linda Blair. Xanadu. Yes. Great movie starring Olivia Newton-John. Um, and then, like you said, like, even randomly, too, like, if you watch The Warriors, the leaders of one of the rival gangs, like, gets around on roller skates. Like, it was just <laughs> part of the part of the zeitgeist, basically. Yeah, not a tough look for a gang leader. <laughs> no. But that's but one of the great like, things of The Warriors. He looks like a troglodyte, though, so he is really scary, <laughs> but he's also on roller skates. It's a weird juxtaposition. Uh, before, while I was, uh, checking out Dave's original, uh, piece he put together for us, I stopped there before turning the page and was thinking, wait a minute, I remember a Chips episode (laughs) very distinctly where there were bank robbers Mm -hmm. that had those big platform wooden shoes and would like click a button and wheels would come out (laughs) and they would roller, that was their getaway car, was their roller skates. They would leave an oil slick <laughs> trail from their heel. And it was chips. It was a two-parter. Um, and I, I went and looked it up, and uh, I didn't see that part, but there's there's a very fun uh, YouTube video. Um, I think it's called, like, the most 70s TV scene ever or something like that. <laughs> but just look up chips, roller skating, bank robbery, or whatever, and it'll come up. And it is a huge uh, fundraiser for the CHP on the show, and they're at a roller disco place. And... <laughs> Almost every 70s 
person you can think of was in this scene <laughs> and they were just announcing that it was really long it was like three minutes and they're like and here comes ruth buzzy and here comes <laughs> like uh oh i can't remember all the guys but there were just it was just like a a murderer's row of mm-hmm. 70s icon like tv and movie stars out there roller discoing some poorly and then some if you look closely they had a little disc line going like the disco line where you go through the middle uh-huh. i saw one guy doing a move he didn't even have roller skates on awesome. <laughs> he just kind of walked out in these loafers and was doing a move. <laughs> it's hilarious it's a very great video I feel like Chip's doing a two-parter on roller disco really lets us off the hook for our two-parter <laughs> on Evil Knievel. I think you're right. Um, there was another thing that came out, too. Like, um, Cher had a, a single called um, Hell on Wheels. Yeah. And um, she actually created a music video for the song, which was weird because it was released two years before MTV came out. So that was a really unusual thing to do. But if you watch it, she combines the roller disco craze and the trucker chic craze <laughs> by roller roller discoing in front of a tractor trailer on a road. Yeah. It's a really unusual video and an unusual song, too, but it's got, I mean, a disco beat for sure. Yeah. I remember the trucker thing. We had a CB. It was, mm-hmm. oh, so funny. That was a, that Convoy, that movie. Yeah. But, she, but Cher made it okay for truckers to like roller disco now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, L.A. had their own version of uh, Empire in Brooklyn. It was called Flippers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked it up. I think it was at La Cienega in Santa Monica, kind of right there in central Hollywood. And it is now a CVS. Aren't they all? I think so. Every old cool thing is a CVS now. There's a CVS in, I think it's in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And it has an uh, old disco ball still in the ceiling. Oh, it's wow. like, what was this place? <laughs> and I've never found out, but I don't think CVS installed it. I think it kind of came with the location. Yet I don't have a CVS convenient to my home somehow. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I don't. I mean, it's, they're not that far because all the in-town neighborhoods in Atlanta are fairly close. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You want a CVS like within five minutes drive. Right. And I well, don't I guess have that. You don't live near a defunct roller disco. <laughs> no, they took the Eckerd drugs near me that was convenient and changed it into a kidney dialysis place, oh. which is useful. But, uh, like, you know, where am I going to get my uh, goodies headache powder? For sure. <laughs> but Flippers was big uh, in the late 70s, and it was, you know, the, the West Coast version where, like, David Lee Roth would hang out and Rod Stewart <laughs> would hang out and <laughs> Jacqueline Bissett threw her 35th birthday party. Yeah, and Ted Kennedy held a fundraiser there for his 1980 presidential campaign. <laughs> That's very, uh, yeah, very 1980s. Yeah, and between Flippers and, bet- and um, Empire, all throughout the United States, there was like seriously a thousand new roller rinks that came online in the 70s. Um, and it was pretty cool, but then it went out um, very quickly. I mean, 1979-80 was the peak of roller disco, and there was almost not like um, a-, a crest or a trough. It was almost like a, a inverted V. It just came around, peaked, and just dropped off really quickly, right? People started getting into, like, jazzercise and mm-hmm. then breakdancing and all that. It just went on to other stuff. But it never actually went away. Yeah, like, I feel like it didn't go away in a couple of sectors. I think adults, like my parents looking for the next cool thing, mm-hmm. like, they took disco dancing lessons, which is not like them at all but that's how ubiquitous disco was right i feel like adults kind of moved away i think kids still went to the roller skating rink right as evidenced by us 
and Black Americans did. It was still a very popular activity, like up through the early 90s for African Americans in the U.S. Yeah, and it's it's just so like typical but you think of like oh the peak of the peak of roller skating happened in 79 80 and then it just went out when really um black america had been basically creating like a roller dancing and mm-hmm. then roller disco white america came around was interested for a while became disinterested and moved on and then just assumed that it just evaporated and right. went out of existence because white america stopped paying attention to it but yeah there are whole subcultures of of black america that said no we really like doing this and we're going to keep on doing it and over time from that roller disco era which really was like a just a bomb drop that really changed roller skating forever um it went on and became refined and new like styles were created and uh it's pretty cool how it kept going i love it should we take a break let's take a break all right we'll talk about skating styles and just kind of how these skates are put together right after this I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, shall we talk skating styles? We shall. This is when it's a little bit like uh, when you talk about hip-hop culture and breakdancing and that there are like sub-styles within the larger culture. Right. uh, Which is kind of a cool thing. I love it when a a culture has a subculture where it's like, hey, if you like to rhythm skate, rhythm skate. If you like to jam skate, jam skate. And there's there's a lot of overlap, but... uh, and some of this, like all this stuff, you kind of have to look up examples to really get the nuance. But what is jam skating? Jam skating at its base is a incredibly difficult combination of breakdancing and roller skating. Okay. If you watch a breakdancer, like a good breakdancer, mm-hmm. what they're doing is impossibly hard and yeah. incredibly it takes an incredible amount of like talent and skill and stamina and creativity just to break dance. Someone like now, you, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Me in, in third grade, for uh-huh. sure. Yeah. Um, now, take that. Take that person who's able to do that and put them on roller skates. And then what you have is jam skating. And okay. if you watch a video of it, it is beyond impressive. Like to see people who are really good and proficient at it, because it is breakdance and there's a lot of floor work, there's shoulder spins, like there's like, you know, um, like that whole uh, jumping in thing. I can't remember what you call it, where you uh-huh. kind of like skip back <laughs> forward. I can't remember what it's called, but it's super cool looking. People do that on roller skates. Yeah. And then there's also like B-boy battles where there's like, you know, one crew is battling another, one person's battling another. So they just go back and forth with yeah. their little, like with the dances. Um, until somebody wins or... I don't remember how they ever figure out who wins. Oh, I think it's Um, clear. But, okay, yeah, probably. But that's jam skating, and it's really, really impressive to see. All right. All this stuff is impressive, but certainly jam skating. Agreed. Uh, Rhythm skating was from about the mid-'70s. Had a lot of roller disco influence there, obviously. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this is dancing. This is kind of like disco dancing while you're roller skating, uh... Very precise and choreographed, like uh, you would see a lot of people do, like, routines. But it it is not quite artistic skating, which is a little more akin to figure skating. Right. But you could still rhythm skate with someone and come up with your own, like you would at the disco if you had, like, Saturday Night Fever, like if you had your dance partner and you would do your thing rather than just sort of freestyle dancing with someone. Exactly. That's exactly rhythm skating. And then um, rhythm skating, I suspect, even goes further back to probably the 50s when people started playing R&B music at uh-huh. the roller rink yeah. on, like, Soul Night or whatever. Um, and But today, it's still around today, and it, it kind of spread out um, to, like, local areas so that regional styles started to develop. Um, and Atlanta has its own style. If you've seen the movie ATL mm-hmm. from, I think, 2006, you know, part of the thing that's going on there as a backdrop is, like, the roller rink. 
Um, and that's a lot of what you would see in ATL, you would see at an actual roller rink today in Atlanta, um, where there's a lot of like, it's rhythm skating. So like you said, it's like dancing, but on roller skates. Um, but they kind of, it, it's it's connected to breakdancing in that there's like crew battles and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but it's still, it's, it's not breakdancing necessarily. It's just like dancing on skates. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland apparently has their own style, uh, which is a little more figure skating style. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, like axles and jumping and stuff like that. Uh, Detroit, of course, is going to have their own style. I bet there's sure. a Chicago style too. There's got to be. It has a pickle on it. <laughs> <laughs> you put a pickle on it. It's deep dish. Right. Uh, well, I just figured since it was the epicenter, then uh, they probably have their own style. But who knows? Detroit had their own style though. Um, and this was uh, this is what I didn't quite get. Mm-hmm. What is sliding? Sliding to the side, like not going forward or backward, going to the oh, side, okay. sliding on your skates. All right, that makes sense. A lot of sliding and, in Detroit style, apparently. Right, which is really cool because there's also a lot of precise foot movement, too. And those two things require two different hardnesses of wheels, mm-hmm. but they managed to, to you know, figure it out in Detroit. It's really cool to see people slide. I saw one clip of a dude... And he was in the middle of the rink and just slid all the way to the edge and then onto the carpet. Nice. Um, it was really cool looking because it's just such a smooth, like, move, you know? Uh, the one that I think uh, I liked the best when I was a kid was, mm-hmm. I believe it would be the freestyle dance skating. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm wrong, I think that was the the lady or the guy at the rink that was just, they were going in the circle. Mm-hmm. And they were they were skating forward the whole time, but the whole time they were also just sort of dancing. And they were lifting yeah. the skates up and knees up and legs forward and backward and crossing over here and there. And it was just very smooth and fluid and just looked super cool. Like you wouldn't stop and do a split or do like a breakdance move. You were just sort of grooving around the rink. Right, and you could tell that they probably hadn't, like, come up with the moves necessarily ahead of time. They were just feeling the music. Feeling the music. It's the kind of roller skate (laughs) dancing that, like, somebody would probably do in a bathing suit. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's freestyle dance skating. And, like, what's cool about it is anybody can do it. Like, you can, you just have to, again, you just have to be able to roller skate and feel feel the groove. (laughs) Um, But there's people who can do it better than others, for sure. Yeah, yeah, all right, because I did that stuff. I could, you know... At my apex of roller skating, I could, like, stay up and look pretty good and do a good crossover on the corners. But oh, that, really? That was about it. That's that's. I think that's better than me. I don't remember being able to do anything like that. I was just a, what would you a, do? a rink skater. I'd go in a circle <laughs> with a smile on my face. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I mean, crossover, like, when you're on the turns, you cross one your right foot over your left foot. Yeah, I, I would just not do that. What would, would you do? Just lean? Too, you would lean? Exactly, okay. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would prepare for the turn in advance, not do that crossover thing. I think I probably did once or twice, but it wasn't something that I was utterly confident I wasn't going to, like, totally biff um, when I tried it. You know Could what I mean? Did you do the Snoopy? What, what, no. Do you remember know. that? Uh-uh. I think, I mean, I'm just pulling this off the dome, but I'm pretty sure the Snoopy was when you uh, went all the way down on mm-hmm. one skate and then mm-hmm. held your foot, held the toe uh, stop. Mm-hmm. off the floor with uh, your hand. 
Mm-hmm. I think that was called the Snoopy. At least maybe there's a regional or something. I don't know. It sounds really familiar. I think you might be right about that. I know I know the move you're talking about, and I think it might be called the Snoopy. What a cute name for a move. Could I do that? I I don't <laughs> think so. I hadn't been I drinking really at either. that age. <laughs> uh, and then I, I, never, later. I never got backward skating down super well, which is a really key component if you wanted to couple skate. Otherwise, yeah, you're just holding hands and going forward together. Right. Like, if you were boss, you would turn around and, you know, take that girl by the hips. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you were advanced. <laughs> no, I'm not, like, nothing dirty. It's like, you know, slow dancing. You put your hands on her hips. She puts her hands on, like, around your neck. And, and then but, when but you, you dip, be able she to, dips. You, you both gotta, dip. <laughs> but you got to be able to skate backward really fluidly to do that. Chuck, that is, I, I don't recall even seeing that. What? What kind of couple skating were you seeing? I, again, we were going around in a circle, <laughs> like skates right next to each other at uh-huh. all times, all right. holding hands, right. you know, maybe speeding up. That's it. Uh-huh. Then you split some onion rings and make out. I can't out. remember what I like. They're probably like square pizza. That's probably what I would get. Oh, square pizza. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's also, um, there's inline skating, which after that, um, the, the peak in the 70s and 80s of uh, roller skating and, and just general popularity, mm-hmm. rollerblades came out right after that, apparently, yeah. like in 83 or something like that. I didn't realize that because I always associate them with the 90s. Yeah. But I think that's when they kind of blew up. Did you ever get into that? No, I never did. Yeah, um, same here. I was skateboarding at the time, so I wasn't doing inline skating. I had one pair of rollerblades in my life, but I, I didn't use them very much. And I remember thinking, like, all right, I should just get rid of these. But, I mean, people can get, like, nuts on those. There's oh, a, yeah. a type of inline skating called aggressive skating. And it, it is, it's like skateboarding, but you're doing it on rollerblades. Yeah, yeah. Which seems to me, like, way harder, actually. Um, and then there's one other thing I learned about inline skating, Chuck, that we just have to share. What's that? So, in the early 90s, Amish teenagers found out about oh, rollerblades, right. and they're like, we're going to use yeah. these. <laughs> Despite their elders' protests, uh-huh. they said, nope, nay, I think is probably what they said. Yeah. We are, we are going to um, adopt these. And they don't, I don't think they do any aggressive skating or anything like that, but they use them to get around. And still to this day, you can see Amish teenagers rolling around on, on rollerblades in Amish country. Good for them. Yep. That's what I say. What else you got? Well, I guess we should talk about, I mean, we have a whole episode on roller derby, which you should go listen to. Yeah, for sure. Uh, But maybe we should finish out with the least interesting part, (laughs) which is the anatomy of a roller skate. (laughs) Got to cover it because that's what we do. Uh, If you want to buy some skates today, you can spend $150 on average. You can spend $1,000 if you want. Uh, I remember, do you remember when they came out with like the tennis shoe skate when we were kids? And how cool I, that was? That was a little before my time. Yeah, but yes, when I look at pictures of them now, yeah. I'm like, those are really cool. Like blue blue Adidas with yellow stripes. Yep. Just those like, are really cool. Like a full, fully functioning, not fully functioning, but like a full tennis shoe. Didn't right. have any upper uh, ankle support or anything. Mm-hmm. And then it had the, well, I guess we'll talk about the parts here. Right. Uh, I mentioned the boot. And the boot upper is anything above the sole. Yeah, And, uh, of course, you got the lining on the inside and the laces and all that stuff. But uh, the plate is what I was talking about. You had a regular old Adidas, maybe modified slightly, but it was mounted to a plate, mm-hmm. mounted to the trucks and the skates or the wheels. Yeah, right. And they still have that today. 
But it just the the I don't think anybody's making Adidas boots for roller skates. But usually they divide the boots into two types, high top and low top. Mm-hmm. And depending on the type of skating you're going to do, you want to choose wisely. So freestyle, um, rink skating, which again is just going around in a circle with a smile on your face. Artistic, which is like figure skating. And then rhythm skating, they all use high tops. And then low top is more useful for jam skating and speed skating. Right. Um, so that's pretty much the only... It's not really looks necessarily. It's, you know, what kind of skating you're doing, whether you go high top or low. Yeah. Uh, you've got, you know, we talked about polyurethane, but you can also get different size wheels mm-hmm. and different hardness of wheels, depending on what you're looking to do. Right. And uh, your outdoor wheels are going to be a little softer than the indoors. Uh, you're going to have more traction with a larger wheel, obviously, and a little more agility with a smaller wheel. You could be super cool and get those light up wheels if you want. They're so awesome. They're very cool. Yeah, they have an actual, like, dynamo in them. They use magnetic spacers inside um, copper wiring. Mm-hmm. And so when the wheel spins, it generates electricity that powers an LED. So let's talk toe stops. <laughs> so remember our friend John Joseph Merlin who broke the mirror mm-hmm. when he was playing violin at the Masquerade Ball? No toe He stop. didn't have a toe yeah. stop. <laughs> he wishes he had, but it was like 100 years Later, I think. I think he was in the 18th century, wasn't old John Joseph? Um, It wasn't until 1876 that toe stops were finally invented and people had a way to break. Um, Yeah, 116 years after John Joseph Merlin. And all that is is like a big hunk of rubber that's um, screwed into the the toe, uh, the underside of the toe of the boot. Um, And all you do is just push down on your toe and it the toe stop makes contact with the ground and it slows you down depending on how much pressure really quickly or you know kind of slowly and gradually yeah I, i'd never have been able to stop really quickly without busting my butt so sure. maybe i didn't know how to use a toe stop i kind of drug it behind me yeah to gradually slow down but i don't know that's if, a great technique i didn't know if there were other methods um that's what's called the snoopy <laughs> No, I think other methods are if you're really good, you just like like um, peel out to the side like you would on skis to stop quickly on skis. I think people do that on roller skates to oh. stop suddenly. Well, I'm, I'm, that's way beyond me. For sure. Um, there's also something called jam plugs, Chuck, which are um, the same thing, but they're much closer to the toe um, than a, a toe stop is, which means that you have way more clearance for the wheel um, if you're like, say, standing up on on your toes and mm-hmm. rolling, you could do that with jam plugs. You couldn't do that with the toe stop. That's so right. things like jam skating would use jam plugs instead. Yeah, and I think they can, you know, you can have, you can be like heart shaped, and you can get a little more creative with the jam plugs. Sure, little, little faces and stuff, emojis. Yeah, you put all those together, you got yourself a roller skate. You put it together twice. You have a pair of roller skates. (laughs) Uh, And apparently, uh, roller skating, and this is something I wasn't fully aware of, became a really big deal during the pandemic again. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only way I knew this was sort of happening was um, our former colleague, the wonderful Miranda Hawkins, uh, started roller skating during the pandemic. And I would just see her Instagram stuff Mm -hmm. of her, like her videos of her learning how to roller skate. Uh, and do, like, these moves and tricks and stuff. And, like, I saw Miranda make great strides over the course of the pandemic. But mm-hmm. I just thought she was, like, 
super cool because Miranda is super cool. But well, it's apparently, still super cool. well, she's still super cool. But apparently, a lot of people are doing. It. I didn't know it was a thing. I thought it was just her thing. It was a thing, and what's interesting is you can actually trace um, back to the person who started it. Um, it was an actress named uh, Anna Koto. She was in a movie called Ouija. Uh, or Ouija from 2014. It's a pretty good movie, actually. Um, but she also is a really talented, like, freestyle dance roller skater. And she started posting videos and they on TikTok of her roller skating. And they hit just right. And at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was like, oh, yeah, we can go roller skating. Yeah. You can do that outside. Makes sense. You can social distance and still have fun. And, like, she kicked off this roller skating revival, especially among Gen Z. I love it. It's a perfect pandemic uh sport slash yeah. uh, hobby. It is. It's really cool. And, you know, I think it's already gone out again. Although the thing about roller skating is this is what it always does. There's like peaks in popularity and then declines in popularity, but it always hangs on and just kind of goes its own way. And every time it becomes popular, it attracts a few more people who are now roller skaters when otherwise they never would have been. And then the next peak comes and even more people are into it. And then it just seems to be this this process as immutable as the wind across the dunes. <laughs> yeah, and the difference is these days is it's uh, you just don't have as many options for roller rinks. Uh, right. if, you, if you live in a in a major city, you might have a few. Uh, if you live in a small town, you might even have one because that's, you know, that's kind of the great things about small towns is you may still have a drive-in or a roller rink. Right. But you're not going to have like, hey, which one of these like 12 places should we go to? Right. Uh, and as we always like to point out a good trivia question when we come upon it, it turns out that NWA held their first concert at a roller rink called Skateland in Compton. That's where Dr. Dre and Eazy-E and Ice Cube met. I love it. Uh, you got anything else about roller skating? Negative. Chuck, this one was an eye-opening episode for me because I, I realized in retrospect that I, I was not a particularly good roller skater. So <laughs> thank either. you for opening my eyes to that. I feel like I know myself a little better now. Yeah, I was not either, and you were worse than me, so... Right. Uh, so uh, if you want to know more about roller skating, go do it. There's nothing stopping you, really. Just go have some fun skating. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and since I said it's a lot of fun, of course, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this gentle correction. We've gotten it from quite a few people. Mm -hmm. uh, we goofed up in our Paper Towns ep. Hey, guys, just finished the Fake Towns episode. Uh, I was hoping you would talk about Paper Towns and bring up the book. I can't always tell if you're joking or not. You say things wrong on purpose, which we do, yeah. or, or if it was an honest mistake. So uh, when Josh said he'd never heard of the author of Paper Towns, I wasn't sure if it was a joke. The author is John Green, not Tom Green. I was thinking of the hilarious Canadian comedian. <laughs> also, you almost certainly have heard of him. He is the co-founder of VidCon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which we've been to. Yeah, that was our... I'm sure VidCon is great, but we were That's not... That's where we met Tejon Day of Chocolate Rain fame. <laughs> That's, yeah, I got a picture with Chocolate Rain. But that was also where we very famously did our worst attended live performance of, what, 13, 14 people? Yeah, and we worked with half of them easily. Yeah, it was uh, not a good match for us, but Vid VidCon <laughs> I'm sure is wonderful. Yeah. But John Green apparently co-founded VidCon, co-host of the podcast, Dear Hank and John, and host of the podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed... Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, that podcast is also now a book. And the YA novel, Paper Towns, was actually turned into a movie. So Connie says, thanks for always making uh, Connie smile. Connie was dropping a lot of extra information here. So we always appreciate yeah. that. 
Thanks a lot, Connie. Yeah, that definitely was an honest mistake. I, I wasn't clever enough to be joking about that. And I didn't catch it. So anytime one of us misspeaks, it's always on both of us. Right. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Connie did and drop a knowledge bomb on us like she did, uh, you can do it as gently as she did because we like those. It's more like a bath bomb than a knowledge bomb. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Uh, you can send it to us via email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts every family has an origin story one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.